All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Just a Girl from Cleveland. This is episode 87, and spirits are a little lower today. I'm not going to lie to you guys. A little bit tough after the worst loss I've ever seen yesterday. I don't even know like how to qualify different losses that I've seen in my life from the Cleveland Browns because there's been so many bad ones. Like if you were to add up the like 50 worst losses in the history of the NFL, the Browns would account for at least half of those. So it's really hard to rank them. But I gotta say this one has to be up there considering they just really defied all odds on ways to lose a football game. And um, I also kind of forget how after home games, you know, my voice goes through like 10 cycles throughout the day of trying to return to normalcy after just yelling and screaming and all of those things. But um, yeah, real, real unfortunate uh, day in Cleveland, especially for the home opener. You just, you hate to see a loss happen like that, but I'm trying to get my mind right now and just think like it is only one game. We have a long season ahead of us and you can only dwell on a loss for so long before you just got to move on and we have to move on quickly because we have Pittsburgh in like three days. (laughs) So there is not time to sit here and dwell on it. You just have to to get over it and move forward and look to the future. But um, I'm going to get into more of the Browns game. First, want to talk a little Cavs and a little Ohio State. So um, the Cavs talk I wanted to do was uh, about Donovan Mitchell's arrival in Cleveland. So he arrived last Wednesday, and I was actually there at the airport hangar when he arrived. Um, My parents have have tickets. So I was able to, they have Cavs tickets and were given, you know, this opportunity to go to the hangar to, to welcome him into Cleveland when he arrived. And I got to tag along with them. So I got to go and greet him there. I got a nice selfie, very exciting. Um, But it was really cool to see how pumped he was when he, they like took him in a car that like just pulled up to where all of the fans were. And there were probably a couple hundred fans and, and apparently all of the, the ticket salespeople were saying that he had no idea there were going to be a bunch of people there. They told him like, oh, there might be some fans when you arrive. And he was, he said himself, he was kind of expecting like 10 to 15 people maybe. And then it was a couple hundred people chanting, let's go Cavs. And uh, I think it was a nice way to greet him because I, I just, I think like when you're coming to somewhere like Cleveland, that's not a huge name. We just, we so badly want people to love being here and feel welcomed and feel like we, we care about them. And so I think we really try to show that when a star like him comes to Cleveland. Um, and I think he genuinely appreciated it. I mean, that was the first thing he said when he sat down for his actual press conference, just talking about how from the moment he arrived here, everyone has been so excited and so gracious. And just even in the last few weeks, everywhere he goes, he's like, I did realize how many Cleveland fans there were in you know America in the world they're just they're everywhere so it's it's exciting to see the way people are reacting and I'm happy um for him and I'm I'm happy for the Cavs you know his press conference was I thought great overall he said all of the right things that you want to hear and you know actually I, I appreciated his honesty about how like originally of course he wanted to go to New York I'm glad he said that because I mean, who wouldn't want to go back home to where they're from? He said, you know, I would want to go be by my parents and by my mom, you know. Um, And that totally makes sense. Like, I get that. Um, But 
that can be true and he could also be very excited to be in Cleveland at the same time like both things can exist at once and it doesn't have to be one or the other I've seen a lot of people uh, somehow infer that he must be miserable that he's going to be in Cleveland he must hate it and from all accounts he has been very excited from the start because he's playing with a young group of stars and is looking forward to building something with those guys I mean he's 26 years old just turned 26 and he's like the oldest star on the team which is crazy because he's pretty young in general uh, but it's just there's so much promise here that I don't think he's mad that he got traded here of course maybe he wanted to go home and he thought that's what was going to happen originally but just because it's different doesn't mean it's it's worse uh, so got to stop with that narrative and people think he's lying about saying he was a Cavs fan growing up and that his email was like Cavs fan something uh, why is that crazy to believe number one he grew up in the first years of LeBron playing in the NBA so a lot of kids became Cavs fans because of LeBron growing up like that's that's how stars work people did that with Michael Jordan uh, so it doesn't seem so outlandish that a kid growing up when LeBron's playing in the league decided to become a Cavs fan and also kids made their emails weird stuff when we were growing up I had some weird emails as a kid so it's not crazy to think that he picked one of his hobbies and made it his email like that's what we used to do for usernames and emails I know we live in a different world of social media now but at the time it was like you put whatever your hobby is or like something with your name to, and put it together and that's your username or your email for whatever so it's not it's not so crazy to think that that happened and why would he even lie about that in the first place that that's a weird thing to come up with a big stretch so i'm not i'm not doubting him there uh, at all it's it's completely believable okay so Ohio State Toledo. Now, just want to briefly talk about that final score: seventy-seven to twenty-one. College football is just insane, man. Those scores just get so out of control sometimes. Um, it's such a contrast watching on Saturdays and Sundays because sometimes you could watch on Sundays and you're just begging the team to score, and then you have someone like Ohio State. I mean, just every time they have the ball, they score, and if they don't, it's like a disappointment at that point. Um, CJ was twenty twenty. 22 of 27 with 367 yards and five touchdowns so awesome showing from him I mean he's been spot on pretty much since um this the beginning of this season I mean he's obviously had some moments we struggled to get the offense going in the first half of the Notre Dame game but honestly since then he's been great and I think his Heisman campaign continues um it's incredible to see to it and I know I've talked about this just how deep at receiver this team is after you know losing Garrett Wilson who just ruined my life this weekend and Chris Olave I mean they have just loaded back up and it's it's incredible to see what they've been able to build there and uh, assuming for years to come like if you are a young receiver deciding what college to go to and you probably think like Ohio State is the place you want to go because you're just going to keep seeing these guys go into the NFL. Uh, and it's it's fun to watch. I, I definitely enjoy it. Um, the defense still makes me a little bit nervous at moments. But honestly, 
in this game, I just give huge props to that Toledo quarterback, Daquan Finn. He was awesome. Um, and I think people want to write stuff off sometimes because it's Toledo or it's not a good team. But he is a very good football player. And I, I think I could see him on maybe like a Big Ten squad next season. He has real talent, real athletic ability. He was making great throws, great plays, uh, and it was against an Ohio State defense, so that's pretty impressive. Like, I know we're not maybe the top defense out there, but uh, for him to be able to to play like that, I think, is is a testament to the type of player he is. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see his name um, talked about a little bit more and then some transfer happened where he is on you know, just a, a bigger program where you can get a bigger spotlight and, you know, just see what happens from there. You never know, man. It The guys who come out as great quarterbacks and end up going to the NFL, it is a weird path sometimes. And it's not always the traditional path that you go to, you know, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, one of the top, you know, schools that have traditionally produced a lot of top talent. That doesn't mean that you can't become amazing. I mean, we've seen the quarterbacks have come from all different kinds of schools over the years. So I certainly don't doubt that uh, he could get a little more notoriety from going somewhere bigger and just see where the future goes from there. But overall, good win. We've got Wisconsin up next, so a little bit of a tougher matchup, but we will see what happens. Okay, now for the Browns game. Um, where do I even begin? <laughs> It was, it was a great day to start. I had a wonderful time in the Muni lot. I was The energy was exciting in downtown Cleveland, people all over the place. Um, and the good things from the game, I will say, that was maybe the best I've ever seen Jacoby Brissett play in his, his career. <laughs> I mean, he was incredible. He actually had um, a similar stat line to C.J. Stroud in terms of uh, completions, which is funny, 22 of 27, um, less yardage and touchdowns. But, you know, we'll, we'll take the good things and roll with it. He had 229 yards, one touchdown, and then obviously that interception at the very end. But it's really tough to um, count those those last-minute ones against someone in the same way as you would if it happened earlier in the game because he was really trying to do everything he could after the defense completely ruined everything. Um, so I thought he played a great game, and that just really reassured me for what we're going to see from him for now the next nine games uh, and what he's going to be able to do in this offense. It, it did give me some comfort that he was able to play at that level. Um, will he be able to keep it up? I don't know, but I thought that was really great and reassuring to see. Nick Chubb was also incredible with three touchdowns. I know there's a lot of questions around his last touchdown and whether or not he could have taken a knee before that because we could have ran the clock out at that point since the Jets had no timeouts left. Uh, of course, in reality, that is true. That is a factual statement that if he would have stopped on the one-yard line and taken a knee, that we would have won the game. I the reason I hesitate to like blame him for running it in there is one who would have thought that we would have been able to blow a game where we were up by 13 points with like a minute and a half to go that's insane um and two when you're running full speed like he was and trying very hard to at least get the first down he was like the first down marker was on like the two yard line. So he would have had to slow down so quickly to stop 
on like the one yard line or just past the two yard line in order to get that first down, I don't even know how your body would be able to stop like that. Like the amount of acceleration you're already producing to just like stop in your tracks and go down for a knee while also trying to get that first down it would have been really hard for him to do and I think people don't realize that because you just think okay well he could just do it um sure he could but it would have been it would have been hard to do just with where the first down marker was placed if you have a little bit more leeway it might be a little bit easier but I think it was it was a little bit hard in that situation so um I'm not going to blame him for those two reasons yes in theory we would have won if that would have happened. But um, of course you can say that looking back on it, just like you could say the Cade York missed extra point is also something we would like back. But in the moment, it's like we are up by so much right now with so little time left. There's no way we can do this. The The main people that need blame, I think, in this situation is is the secondary. And there's obviously a lot of conversations right now about who specifically in the secondary is to blame. And I think the overall conversation has obviously come down to miscommunications, that when these guys are going out there, there is maybe one guy who has one idea of what the plan is and one guy who has a completely different idea of what the plan is. Uh, From everything I have been talking to people who I trust and who know defense a lot better than I do and who know coverages a lot better than I do. It does seem like Denzel is kind of the guy that um, had a different idea of what they were running. And, you know, it's hard to say who's even right or wrong because if one guy thinks he's right and the other guy thinks he's right, uh, there was just somewhere along the way where it wasn't communicated correctly to someone. So it's it's really hard to place blame, but when you see that one guy's in a different type of coverage, I think that kind of points to where things were at. But he he even said in his interview today that he didn't think it was his fault. Um, so it's just, it's ugly. And he was tweeting some stuff too. And I just hate that we're already two weeks in at this place where we have players talking on social media and responding. You had Miles saying that it was disappointing that the fans were booing. And look, I love Miles Garrett more than anyone else but it's frustrating to hear that because man like that was the worst way to lose the game in the last 2,229 times that a team was up by 13 or more with less than two minutes left that team won the game and the Browns broke that record by finding a way to lose this game. And actually, the team before that 2,229 games that was able to blow it was also the Cleveland Browns against the Bears. So we just always find ways to do that. But in reference to Miles, it's like, honestly, I do think they they deserve to be booed in some ways. Like, you really blew a game that you were supposed to win on every level by all accounts. Fans go to these games and pay their hard-earned money to celebrate this team and enjoy a win and they don't get it and they lose it in the worst way possible they're going to be upset and Joel Batonio kind of said that and reiterated that he just he understands I guess why fans feel that way because they put so much into this team and put their their hard-earned money into it so I do appreciate when someone like him acknowledges that um, rather than just being mad that fans are booing and maybe trying to understand from the fans perspective why that's happening um Look, I'm not like a pro-booing person. I personally don't think I would boo my own team, and um, that's not really how I operate, but I can understand why people felt the need to do that in that stadium after you blow a game like that. 
it's just so frustrating. Um, and they've got to clean up those miscommunications. I don't know what the answer is, to be honest with you. Like, is it truly just making sure before every single play that you, whoever is, you know, the green dot in charge looks at every single guy and makes sure he knows exactly what they're doing? I don't know what the the answer is because it feels like this is becoming a bit of a pattern. We almost lost last week because of some miscommunications. It happened again. And we are supposed to have a better secondary than this. We have a lot of very talented players uh, and they're still having these miscommunications. Like you work all summer in training camp and in practices to make sure that these things don't happen and they're still happening. It's it's frustrating beyond belief and they they just have to clean it up because I do think like this team deserves better with the the work they're putting in and I would not have expected going into this season that the offense would be the one putting up 30 points and our defense would have been the one blowing it I thought our defense was going to blow our offense out of the water every week Um, I mean we put up 30 points in this game and lost last season there were only three times that we put up 30 points in a game like We didn't even have that offensive firepower last year, and I did certainly did not expect any kind of firepower like that with Jacoby Brissett. But I mean, he had a he had a pretty great game um, overall. So I like I said, I don't know what the answers are, but something needs to happen where the guys are talking better and communicating better in order to to turn that around. Okay, so now for the mailbag questions. I tried to pick a range this time that weren't all just Brown's questions. So throwing a little couple different things in here. Um, Some of them are, of course, Brown still. So question one is, how does the Brown secondary stop giving up late fourth quarter leads? (laughs) So I I really just talked about this already, um, but this is the the miscommunications, clearing those up. Every single guy has to know what their responsibility is and act accordingly on each play. And I feel like that's a bad answer because (laughs) you just want there to be something more concrete that's not like, please talk more on the field, but um, that is where we are at right now. And I, I I don't even think it's guys like getting in their own heads. I think it's truly like, a lack of paying attention or um, you know, making sure you're clarifying if you heard something correctly. I, I don't even know. I know they obviously have like hand signals too, so is it making sure those are incredibly clear and that you know what they are? I don't know, but it's obviously our, our defense that is going to have to have some tough conversations together and, and clear it up. Okay, was Question two is, was our performance against the Jets a bad fluke or a sign of the rest of our regular season? Um, I personally think it was a bad fluke. I I think we were clearly the better team for the entirety of that game other than the very end. Uh, The only thing that I think concerns me a little is the lack of accountability I think we were hearing in the interviews today. It made me a little bit nervous because I feel like that does not set us on a positive track. Um, but guys just got to put their, their heads down and not have their ego come first, uh, where they, they want to defend, you know, themselves and what they thought was happening. Sometimes you just gotta just have some humility and be like, yeah, I I don't know, you know, every single person whose fault it was, but I'm going to take some responsibility in this. And I, I think it's important to do that in order to move forward so that you're not playing this blame game 
where uh, no one wants to take accountability and it's a, a game of whose fault it is. It's just, that's a dangerous road to get on and we're way too early in the season for that. Okay, last Browns one is question three. Why is Joe Woods still employed hours after the game? Um, I know it's easy to scapegoat the defensive coordinator, and I've certainly had my criticisms of Joe Woods at points, but number one, there are other coaches that maybe should take some heat. Um, The DB's coach is Jeff Howard. He was featured a lot on Building the Browns, so I feel like we actually got to know quite a bit about him. Um, I'm sure seems like a great guy. I never want to wish for people to, to not have their job, but I think it's so easy to just jump to Joe Woods, but it's like maybe he needs to be having some more conversations with the DBs because it feels like that is the group that is constantly having these miscommunications. Um, So there's maybe someone like him who needs some accountability in it. I don't think just firing Joe Woods like two weeks in is going to solve anything. Um, If it is truly player communications, just firing a coach and getting a new one, I, I don't think it's going to solve that. I don't know what that that really helps. Now, if it was truly like a scheme issue or things that were happening more from the coaching standpoint, then maybe I would be more apt to have that conversation. But at this point, I just don't think that makes sense quite yet. All right, question four is a Cavs question. So it's record prediction for the Cavs this year. I hadn't thought about this yet, but I actually decided on 50 and 32. I genuinely believe that this is a 50-win team. If you don't remember, we were 44 and 38 last year, and that kind of happened, honestly, because injuries derailed our season towards the end once Mobley and Allen were hurt. So we probably should have had some more wins. I went with 50 and not higher just because I feel like anything can happen in a regular season, and I want to account for that. Um, but that definitely doesn't diminish the success that I think we can have in the playoffs. A 50-win team would be very exciting, though. Just a lot of good basketball games to to watch with that. So I would be I would be pumped if we can at least hit 50. Um, and fingers crossed on everyone staying healthy. Okay, last question is an Ohio State question. Any concerns for Ohio State after three games? My concern is running back depth. Um, so. No, I don't really have a ton of concerns. I think CJ and our offense is fine. For me, the concern is always going to be defense. I don't know if it's just from years past being worried about that. And I know that things are a little bit different now with Jim Knowles. And what he has done is like already in a couple weeks is is a lot better than what we saw last year. Um, and you can still see a lot of the, the growth that we're making. But you can still see some mistakes. And when you end up going to play... Towards the end of the season, a team like that team up north who looks really good, you cannot have those mistakes. So I think it will really just depend on if they can keep growing and eliminating some of those mistakes that will kind of be telling on the the ceiling of this team. Because the floor is obviously almost the same every season where you're going to at least come extremely close to winning the Big Ten Championship. Um, and expectations are, are to make the playoffs. Um, but, you know, we have that tough game at the end of the year now with that team up north who's been a lot better more recently than they were for many, many years. Um, so it's going to be tough. And um, I'm looking forward to it because I do feel like I trust in Jim Knowles and what he's building and a lot of the talent that we have on that side of the ball now. 
Okay, so that was the last mailbag question. Um, sorry, it's not a happier episode. Man, it would have been nice if I could have come in here like 2-0. and We are rolling. We're doing everything we were supposed to do. But uh, unfortunately, uh, we are Browns fans. And in that world, you can't be happy. It's illegal. So that's where we're at now. Um, that's all I have for you guys. If you could just leave me a review or rating on Apple Podcasts, um, follow, subscribe, all that good stuff. Would very much appreciate it. Share with your friends. We got a long season ahead of us, so I'm trying not to be too defeated, even though I did like want to cry yesterday because I was so frustrated, uh, but it's a long season. We've got a lot of football ahead of us, so uh, let's try not to hang our heads too much. We, Like I said, we have another game in just a couple days here with Thursday Night Football, so there's not too much more time to dwell on it. If we can beat Pittsburgh, that changes everything. You you automatically feel a lot better, uh, so hoping for the best in that, in that but thanks for listening. Go Browns.